Hi there! Before we start this episode, my name is Zewen, and I'm one of the co-hosts of this podcast. I've been working on this podcast with my roommate slash co-host since last summer. This was originally going to be released last summer, but life happens and it's only now I can finally let you all listen to the fruits of my labour. I was not at all expecting to release this during a pandemic, but hey, we all need something to do with our time in quarantine. And maybe hopefully listening to my roommate and I talk about Freaky Friday will help you get through these strange times. This is the first episode and potentially might be the last. We did plan out future episodes, but having gone through the process of creating this first episode, I'm not sure the production will be sustainable considering that I am a full-time student with a lot on my plate. But nonetheless, I really wanted to get this out there as a promise to myself and to really explore the potential of intergenerational intersectionality in conversation. I really hope you find this little experiment interesting. Stay safe and enjoy the first episode of Between the Gaps. I'm from Malaysia, currently in Vancouver majoring in history at UBC. I'm too young to be a millennial but too old to be Gen Z as well. I have many opinions, especially about media stuff. I'm Nina A. I'm a queer Gen Xer and I adulted along with the internet. I enjoy meta-intersectional, more aware than thou exchanges of pop culture and social issues. And And you you are are listening to Between the Gaps. So the first topic of the podcast is Freaky Friday. Well, so, I mean, as you can tell, Nina is 60-something. I'm kind of in my 20s, early 20s. And so there's a big age gap between us. Um, And so, like, we talk about stuff. And we tend to see some differences, especially in terms of generational differences. Especially on the topic of movies and remakes, because for me... I've, with, when it comes to Freaky Friday, I've only ever knew of the Lindsay Lohan remake version of it. I did not even know there was even a Jodie Foster version that came out in like, I think the 60s? 1979, 1980, thank you very okay, much. Okay, sure. Well, this is the Gen X thing. My teenage decade was the anniversary of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like, I was only ever aware of the Lindsay Lohan version that came out on the Disney Channel, so... Well, I am aware of that. I was one time in a chain store that was selling copies of movies, and they had a row of Freaky Friday with Lindsay Lohan beside a row of Freaky Friday with Jodie Foster. And two people in their 20s complained how fast they had remade the Lindsay Lohan movie, and so I had to explain that I had seen the Jodie Foster version of the movie, the first one, when I was 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we should probably mention that the only reason why we were doing this episode in the first place is because in my first year of university, I actually was in the musical version of Freaky Friday for my 
residence musical <laughs> that we were doing. Yes, and as a person who's now seen three versions of the same story, I have to say yours was the, the, the play version was better in many ways than the Lindsay Lohan remake um, for several reasons. Although the Jodie Foster one will always hold a very near dear place in my little baby dyke heart. <laughs> yes. I mean, we all love Jodie Foster, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. But like, for the most part, like, I was so before. This got us started on having to see all three versions. So we started with the musical when, that I was in, and then we watched the original version, which I had never seen before. And I had seen once before in an actual movie theater. Yes. And of course, I've seen the remake with the Lindsay Lohan before, and that was my first uh, introduction to this franchise. Yeah, now, now to be fair, I did see the remake version of Freaky Friday, but I wasn't watching it for the teenage-ish child star. I was watching it for Jamie Lee Curtis in this nice comedy rehash of a Jodie Foster movie. Mm hmm yeah. And I, for me, when I was watching the original version with Jodie Foster, like, it it was kind of it didn't gel with my cinematic sensibilities that I grew up with because I like my basically my whole reaction the whole time watching that particular version was that it felt a bit shallow and it was mostly just a bunch of set pieces one after another and it was very different from the version that I was used to with Lindsay Lohan where there's a sense of like growth in the character there's some you know I. Yeah, I, I was so underwhelmed by the original version when I was watching it. And I'm not surprised by that. The storytelling of the time and the two stories being told, while apparently on the same surface level, a mother and daughter who switch bodies for a day, um, the stories are actually quite different. In the original Jodie Foster, she's what would now be called a preteen. She's in the 12 to 14-year-old range. She's a, she's the, she's the tomboy going still to you know elementary school or like grade eight i'm actually a little bit blurry on yeah, this part now uh anyway so she's going to she's going to school and her she has a mother and a father so this is a, a, a nuclear family and she's not adapting to the role that her mother is you know preparing her for in the world at a time when the world was changing the movie could actually be called almost, you know, proto-feminist and certainly was a different message than the usual Disney movies that had come out until that time. Whereas the Lindsay Lohan, she's a teenager. So um, the original one is a mother and daughter battling over a woman's role out in the world and modeled with the nuclear family. And then the Lindsay Lohan one, she's a teenager and the it's a single mom who's careered and is remarrying and it's about all kinds of life transitions at a time when there's the most friction between, you know, parents and their children. Yeah, it was interesting when I was watching the original Jodie Foster version, like I think the one, the details that stuck out to me most is that in that version, uh, the father wasn't, uh, because usually in other versions of the of the film, like, it's usually that the there's a centering around remarriage, 
with her on the mother like remarrying after the death of the father mm-hmm. whereas in the Jodie Foster version the, it was the sort of typical nuclear family well it was the entire day revolved around the dad how much the mother's day revolved around the dad yeah. that the daughter was unaware of and this is where it's her then choosing what kind of role she wants to be in the future and it's not really being in the typing class it's really more being on the field hockey team yeah I was more struck by the how off the time that particular film adaptation was because it was these I can definitely sense the nuclear family like in the film and with it comes to especially the mom who is like doing all these domestic tasks and like when the switch happens with the daughter and the mom like the daughter is having to learn how tough it is to be the mom and to be a housewife mm-hmm. in terms of like the laundry incident and like cooking and like that sort of thing and it's like and then and then it's like and the mom's role isn't actually her doing the cleaning of the house this is a middle class house where she has the um the british scary alcoholic maid who doesn't do windows and who is the nemesis of the children and the and and so and she's had the whole day she's beset with a whole series of you know um carpet cleaners and delivery people and then having to do catering for the husband thing who constantly ups how much she's supposed to do with no lead time you know like expecting the woman to do at the home what you wouldn't assign to somebody at work with that kind of lead time and it's all with him doing the climbing at work trying to impress his boss yes my wife can do the catering my child my daughter can do the aquacade you know the water ski show to sell the real estate property and it's all display, display, display. Whereas in the Lindsay Lohan, it really explored more the mother-daughter dynamic, absent of a father, with the mother, you know, at the point of trying to let go of her, you know, her te- her teenager, not really ready for all the adulting thing that teenagers get into, and um, you know, trying to manage a career and you know have the having it all woman, and you know, J- um, Jamie Lee Curtis having gone from the '70s, you know, scream queen teen, um, yeah. And into that then role, you know, getting to play and doing sort of like the celebrity shtick. I mean, both of these movies, it's important to note, are not high art movies. These are uh, star vehicles. Yes. Oh, these definitely aren't high art. They're like made by Disney for a popular audience. Yes. And that doesn't mean that they still don't resonate because in the Jodie Foster one, this is one of the first times where we got to see Tom Girls. Girls didn't have to be neat and tidy. Girls didn't have to learn how to type and girls didn't, you know, they could actually learn and do things. And she was really a very early model, um, especially when you compare it to the other role she had in the similar time of the taxi driver where she's the, you yes. know, the child it's interesting prostitute. With, yeah, it's interesting with the Julie Boster version. It was very much of that time in that is, I guess at that time, like being a tomboy is considered quite um, like a uh, counter cultural at that point yes and with the at the time everything in the closet and before the AIDS crisis um, you know this was actually early queer butch representation present you know you know so the, yeah. the movie becomes then depending on who was in that audience seeing it certainly another movie from that same time period little darlings with Christy McNichol and uh, Tatum O'Neill being the good girl and girl from the bad side of town who is really a good girl and Christy McNichol was really like the girl version of um, Matt Dillon uh, in terms of the acting capacity and and how they were paired and marketed so I mean Little Darlings with the two girls competing to lose their virginity versus you know Freaky Friday which is the you know the girl on the cusp of being a teenager and what kind of girl is she going to be 
you know, and then to the taxi driver, you know, which answers the question about mm-hmm. the limited roles women get to play in society is you get to be a mom or you get to be a prostitute. Yeah. Because I, as I was seeing that Julie Foster version, I just kept thinking to myself how dated it was. Yeah. And yeah, because like I was seeing it with my sort of my lens of like being from this generation. Yes. It was a Disney teen idol, star vehicle, mom and daughter switch days, madcap caper. Oh, I didn't realize your life was so hard. And it, it sets up, you know, it, it has an easy resolve and lots of physical humor and stuff. And like we say, walking through set pieces. Yeah. And then just setting up the, the, the father and son saying, I wish you could be, I could be you for a day, which apparently there turned out to actually be a, a sequel. Yeah. Uh, before the direct-to-video sort of market of sequels. Yeah. Because on the, the, the topic of like how the story sort of evolved like throughout the years, because like, Whenever I watch films from that era, like I find myself being underwhelmed mm-hmm. because I growing up, like I like when it comes to like looking at the media canon of like film and television in Hollywood and like in the Western in like in the Western sort of canon, I find myself like knowing like people who grew up with these films, like kind of like loving these films a lot, especially like I, an example would be Beetlejuice. Like oh I yes. Saw. Um, let, let's just pause, Beetlejuice. I wanted to just go back one point. Uh, one of the other differences about movies and TV that your generation might not be aware of is another difference. The Lindsay Lohan movie was all movie stars in a movie. Mm-hmm. The Jodie Foster movie was she was a movie star, and the actor who plays her father in that movie, John Aston, he was a TV star. Mm-hmm. So he was deemed, you know, TV stars were lower caliber than movie stars and theater actors were actually kind of on the bottom of that. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because in theater, it's where the writer is the, 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 the top person. And then in movies and TV, the writers get lower down the chain. Um, so part of the enjoyment of watching the Jodie Foster was here's Gomez Adams playing her dad. I mean, mm-hmm. so you end up having when you see actors in different things, um, you know, and just to complete that other thought, there was also a thing about actors who fell out of movies onto TV, which is usually how you get guest stars in, you know, hour-long programs. Yes. Um, like, as I was saying with, like, when I was watching films from that era, it's like, I, especially Beetlejuice as an example, like, mm-hmm. I've heard so much about Beetlejuice from, like, people. Because like, that's what started the world building. Yeah. Like, I, like, I've heard so much of Beetlejuice and it's like this, like, people, like, have such fond memories of it and, like, nostalgia and I've never seen it before in my life and it's only very recently, like, within the last year I've seen it myself. Yeah, we watched it one night. Yeah, we watched it and I was so underwhelmed by the whole experience. Because it was a thin version of a world compared to the world-building shows that you watch now. It's the first one that started um, all of that Uh, and also Winona Ryder was sort of in that group of actors with Jodie Foster and uh, sort of in and around the Brat Pack that was the 80s era. Yeah, and so, yeah, I was kind of struck by how, like, I didn't realize how shallow a lot of the films were back then. And I was just kind of curious as to why people had such fond fond memories of that because I never, well. Well, first, the movies back then followed the classical three-act play, an A storyline and a B storyline with just enough characters that people in the audience could keep track of. Mm-hmm. People are smarter now than before, and they demand more. So, And Beetlejuice was one of those movies that advanced the special effects. 
Yes. And hinted at a much bigger world than what the show occupied. And it went from being a TV show to being a cartoon show on Saturday mornings, which expanded it. Mm-hmm. And then the comic books. And then around the time of the, you know, a Buffy Xena warrior princess decade in the 90s, TV shows were now being made from comic books. The movie, the board game Clue had been made into a movie with three endings and film was starting to become more experimental as it changed from actual film into digital and what could be done with effects. Mm-hmm. Beetlejuice was one of the last ones that used uh, forced perspective sets and used some and a mix of the different types of in-camera effects. And the magazine I used to buy back in that decade was actually called Cinefx, and I one time had the entire Beetlejuice one. Um, and you know, stuff like Freaky Friday actually also falls into the realm of science fiction and fantasy because the plot relies in that show world on a magical device. And in the Disney one, it was just because it wasn't about what the device was like in the Tom Hanks big, where most of the movie is spent trying to track down the item that caused the change as if that's a plot and sort of impeding the character development. Whereas in the Jodie Foster Freaky Friday, it was straight up, I wish I could be you for a day. Poof, they are. They discover each other's day, and then they they return. Whereas in the Lindsay Lohan, they had to rely on magic, and they relied on a really lazy writing trope. Yeah, I remember watching the Lindsay Lohan, like, as a, even as a kid, like, I was sort of, like, the scenes where they were at the Chinese restaurant and, like, the the... the the sort of yeah. magical Asian trope and the exotic sort of Asians yes. like stereotype and it's like and watching actors perform these roles when having seen them in like Star Trek Next Generation and you just want to you you end up feeling so bad for the performer you know it's like oh could they just not have not bothered with I just I'm I'm speechless please go it's just like it's interesting for me growing up because like I mean I did not grow up here where I was surrounded by white people I grew up like in Asia where I was surrounded by Asian other Asians and it's just interesting because like for me because my perspective on it is quite different from another Asian person who grew up in the western society because I had this like I, I just saw it as what uh, what the people foreigners thought <laughs> mostly and so it's interesting to me and i was just like i mean like i every time i watch horrorful films and then these sort of lazy stereotypes about asians pop up and it's like oh okay yes um which is why just to compare and contrast briefly to the to the musical play version which i'm sure a lot of people have seen the musical theater version and that actually just relied on a magical device that, in your case, it was two yes, lamps um, that the father... Yeah, so with the with the musical version that I was in, like, basically the plot of it, it was actually... It, it actually was an improvement on both versions of the of the story in that it did focus on a magical MacGuffin as a sort of like, plot device. But then instead of the exotic Asian fortune cookie stuff, um, it sort of used basically a hourglass. Mm-hmm. And then basically it helps to focus the sort of like the... It also provided a more effective plot device with having the teenage characters going on a scavenger hunt. And so that provided the out of the family experience and why she didn't want to be at the wedding as the excuse instead of not wanting to be at her mother's second. Yeah, before we go further into the musical, we should probably um, do a sort of quick recap of the musical because not many people who have known about the musical 
Well, this is a podcast for Meta, and so some people who are listening will know the theater, some people will know the Jodie Foster, some people know the Jodie Lindsay Lohan, but whoever sees the musical theater, it should be fairly consistent across all productions, right? Well, yeah, 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 I know, but then is that... Or is that too theater, well, I don't the know. Well, for the most part, but then I think the problem is with theater especially, is that it's less accessible than film. Because most people would have known... At least people my age who have known about the Lindsay Lohan remake, and some might know about the Joy Foster version. But for the most part, we think musical theater, especially because of its inaccessibility, not many people, like especially a wider audience, wouldn't know about it. So like they might not have access to be able to see it for themselves. So we have to, uh, we have to explain that a bit more. Well, or since we were trying to focus on movies, and I'll just randomly say Winona Ryder and Heathers, along with the Mean Girls Lindsay Lohan remake, were also really nice to sort of insert randomly and not expand anymore after that. We could go back to the star vehicle um, aspect or um, how it was... Sorry, I just saw one of my other notes here. Yeah, so I should probably explain the musical a bit more. Okay. So... Basically, the musical is a sort of similar uh, storyline to the other two versions, and that it features like Ellie and Catherine as the mother and daughter. And uh, basically, it's kind of more more the plotline is a slightly bit more similar to the Lindsay Lohan version than it did to the Jodie Foster version, and that it centers yes. around a remarriage. Uh, but then this time around, it's a bit more concise compared to the Lindsay Lohan version. Because in the Lindsay Lohan version, the, the sort of general plotline was uh, the Lindsay Lohan character sort of going off to like try and form a band and try and pursue her musical passions. And then her sort of doing this teen angst of like wanting to pursue her own thing, whereas the mom is sort of like... And then there's this sort of like subplotline of her like um, falling in love with, the, with, the, with one of the guys, mm-hmm. like uh, a senior, I think, from what I remember. And then the sort of like... The things that happened there. Where was it the musical? Uh, there was actually a character difference between the musical and the Lindsay Lohan version in that the mother in the musical had a personal assistant who helped with their business that yes. they were doing catering, okay. whereas in the Lindsay Lohan, the mother was a psychiatrist yes. and okay. a different profession thing. Okay. But the daughter was harder, having a harder time faking than in the play. Yes, so, okay, that jogs my memory a bit more. So with the uh, Lindsay Lohan version, the mom's uh, profession was a psychiatrist. And so, and she's, and then the mother character in that film was more in like a sort of career woman. And then like, um, basically one, th- one thing, uh, I think the Lindsay Lohan character to be more, you know, pursue more sensible professions, I guess. And in the uh, musical version, uh, the mom was working as a wedding, wedding planner, caterer, like, um, and so like, she had an assistant and she was like kind of more uptight and more um how to say a bit more basically uptight and uh yes whereas in the Lindsay Lohan one it was it, there was no assistant to keep Jamie Lee Curtis in check from doing the star vehicle you know shtick for the character for for the comedy yeah and so the musical sort of tracks um it kind of it's a bit more concise it tracks on one day it kind of centers around the one day. Although I think in previous versions, it did center around the one day. Although I feel like the musical version might have been a bit more realistic about it. So. Well, in, in the Lindsay Lohan version, I think it took the most, I think it was still one day. It felt longer. And maybe that's an important thing to note too about plot pacing. <laughs> yeah. 
Because like the, I feel like the plot pacing in the musical especially was a bit more tight th- than the other versions. I do find it curious that this story was picked as a musical, although I knew that there is a certain trend towards musicals because a, a story, musicals are always the character's inner monologue with a chorus and um, characters who are switching bodies and having to talk to each other have a different way of sort of expressing that inner way and so it was sort of it was sort of doubling down on being able to do that in a way yeah and like with the with the daughter character in the musical version right she was like aspiring to be more and it was like she like through the musical numbers like she was uh, had aspirations to be more whereas the she knew she was selling herself short to start with and this is why she didn't want to hear the message yeah Whereas in the Jodie Foster one, the mother's trying to shape her into something that the daughter is not going to end up yeah. in, continuing that character trajectory. Yeah, and I feel like in the musical one, I feel like the sort of the, the pathos of the sort of emotional moments was a bit more effective than the previous versions. Um, one of the other aspects that the, the the musical and the Lindsay Lohan both have, you know, the family in a in a developing a second chapter with a new member coming in, and the original one being a nuclear family just being sort of thrown off its normal pacing, and the and the members of the family seeing each other in a different way, um, and they just sort of leave it to the you know this is the time you spent with these people and you don't really follow them again, so that gets back to the Beetlejuice and the world building too. You know, we don't really want to spend much more than a day with these people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. And it becomes little wonder why they don't have friends outside the family in the first one, given, you know, all the activities and clubs. And that certainly led into the later thing about, um, you know, how much how much activity time, you know, children do spend, you know, versus school and socializing. And how do you balance family time with that, with working parents? And, you know, both ones, you know, and sometimes then you have families that, you know, members leave and then you have to rebuild with new people and you know this is where you know we all start to need understanding and insight into how what each other are going through and so then it ends up being quite a profound message whether it's in the um the 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 comedy caper set piece you know one day in suburbia slice of life um versus the later one with um, you know, more star vehicle power in it because almost every role was someone you had seen in other things. Yeah, and also I remember uh, one major difference with the musical especially was that I think the the little brother character played a major role in that. Yes, far more so oh, than in either versions. of the movies. Yeah, than in previous versions. Because I remember uh, the sort of emotional crux of the musical like in between the first and second act was that the the little brother Fletcher Fletcher ran away because um basically uh, the daughter in her mom's body was like uh basically saying all of her teen angst to her brother mm-hmm. and he was so upset by that and basically ran away and through that the daughter sort of learns that her brother does mean more to her than she realized. Right, whereas the Jodie Foster gets it in the exchange when she's in her mom's body and, you know, when she finds out that Oscar, the younger brother, is trying to be messy but the maid keeps tidying it up and so Annabelle hates him because he's he's like the too-good kid and he doesn't even get cavities even though he tries and so, you know, have the one, you know, who's just... So the Annabelle feels like she's always falling short because she's just not that kind of girl... She's, you know, a more athletic, sporty type who doesn't really have the same priorities. And she just sees her mom as, 
you know, having a life of leisure and she discovers it's actually pretty hard to keep all of this stuff coordinated and everybody organized. And um, so that insight comes without uh, a different type of character foil. Yes. And uh, in the, in, you know, it also the Jodie Foster one with her being younger, it's more uh, a step away from anything sexuality where it is definitely in there with the Lindsay Lohan thing, the, the with the, the, the offspring resenting the, the second, uh, the second father figure coming in and um, the teenager choosing to be time with her friends and in the movie, in the, in the rock band and um, instead of doing the water skiing and the, the uh, sports like Jodie Foster was doing. Yeah, so I guess in general, like from, I guess, I guess what do we learn from comparing all of these remakes? How the same story can transcend the telling of the story and how it's marketed to the niche at the time in the decade. And so looking, I think, between them, we can see how much progress there was made on some hand and how much, you know, how much more we haven't gotten there. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to totally refrain from trying to reference the cigarette ads. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I mean, I guess I'm what you know. I'm almost sad. Yeah. I almost hope that you just laughed because you sensed I was saying that as a joke, and that you actually might get that we haven't come along, or that the you know that whole line about the cigarette ads. I mean, is that still a trope that still resonates? Well, the cigarette ads only appeared like during the what 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 ever was, was it like. 60s or I have no sense of the time honestly well don't feel bad about that a lot of people have a sense that the cigarette advertising was done in the 60s because of a recentish TV show called Ad Mad Mad Men but cigarette advertising actually became a thing in the 1940s when a nephew of Sigmund Freud uh, began to teach them how to better market and one of the things that he did was he marketed cigarettes as being a sign of equality for women because you could smoke them too Although an interesting observation I've made, like in regards to cigarette ads, is that nowadays there, like I was in the theater, the movie theater the other day, and I actually saw an ad for vaping, for e-cigarettes. Yes. So I feel we've gone sort of, gone back, because now we have the advent of e-cigarettes now, and they're getting advertised. And yeah, this well, because they're not being advertised just for tobacco, and so then we get interesting things about legalization. And certainly, Freaky Friday would certainly make a lot more sense if there had been a drug uh, explanation if they wanted to do a sciencey version without relying on any magic at all. Yeah, yeah, and I guess it, what we've what our conversation just now is our form of a Freaky Friday, I guess. Well, changing, well, looking at through each other's perspective and articulating them, um, yeah. That's between the gaps for you, I guess. Yep. Those gaps get pretty betweeny. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll be signing off now. This has been Nina A. And this is Z1. And we are Between, between the, the Gaps. gaps.